Okay, I'd like to welcome everyone to our shiur, on our class today on the parasha, which uh, is Biketz, but I'm going to talk about more general terms, the different beautiful concepts and lessons we can learn from the parasha. Um, I'm, I put everyone on mute, but if at the end of the class you can unmute yourselves if you have any questions or comments at the end of the class. So please wait and have patience and we'll, we can talk. Anyway, so I want to talk today about we're going to start off with the topic of dreams. And the topic of dreams is because uh, Yosef, at the end of last week's parasha, explains the dreams of the butler and the baker. It's interesting how the topic of dreams evolves in the Torah. Um, we don't find dreams with Abraham and Yitzchak, and nor with Noah, and nor with anyone else, in fact. The first time we find dreams mentioned in the Torah is Yaakov. Yaakov Avin who starts dreaming. And his most famous dream is his dream about the ladder going up to heaven and angels going up and down the ladder. That's the first time in the Torah we have this concept of dreams. And it's interesting because dreams are lower than prophecy. So for some reasons, Yaakov didn't have a direct prophecy, he had dreams. And his first dream is obviously a very, very high level spirituality, dreaming about God, dreaming about angels, dreaming up our ladder to heaven. Very, very spiritual dream. That's the first dream we find in the Torah. It's a very, very spiritual dream, which, as we said, is very close to prophecy. But not all dreams are prophecy. Some dreams are, some dreams aren't. So that particular dream was a prophecy. Later on, we find that the Torah tells us that Yaakov starts dreaming about sheep. And that's uh, obviously a very materialistic kind of dream. And that's when Hashem tells Yaakov, straight after that dream, when he starts dreaming about sheep, Hashem tells Yaakov, you better go back to Israel, because your dreams show, person's dreams show who they are, where they are. person dreams about how that is going to heaven. Those dreams are fantastic. Those dreams uh, signify where a person's mind is. A person thinking about sheep all day, or thinking about sheep at night, that shows where the person's mind is now. And that is a very materialistic kind of dream. He's thinking about his sheep. In those days, sheep were money. Sheep were big business. And today, too, people don't realize how big business sheep are. Anyway, so he started dreaming about sheep, and Hashem says, you better go back to Eretz Israel because now you've become very materialistic, and now you're thinking about sheep. You're becoming like a Lavan. Lavan was a man who just thought about materialism. In fact, he named his daughters Rachel and Leah. People don't realize Rachel means a sheep. And Leah means a, uh, a cow. An Akkadian means a cow. So can you imagine naming one's daughters after one's own sheep. And that's what he thought about. So Yaakov is now becoming like Lavan. In that, in that uh, kind of scenario, he's dreaming about sheep, which is similar to what Lavan thought about all the time. And Hashem says, go back to Israel. You need to get back to your spiritual roots. And that's what Yaakov really does. He goes back to his spiritual roots. And then we find uh, Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik starts dreaming. And he dreams, dreams of greatness. He has two dreams, where the number one is where the, the brothers are all making sheaves in the field, which is interesting, because they were, number one, they were shepherds. They were not involved with farming. So here he is, a shepherd, the son of a shepherd, dreaming about, in fact, grandson of shepherd and great-grandson of shepherds, dreaming about being a farmer. So he is trying to change not just uh, the family uh, synchrony, he's also trying to change who people are, what they do. And that's maybe another reason why the brothers uh, didn't like him so much, because he's trying to change their actual employment. And he's dreaming about farming. 
and he's dreaming that their, their sheaves bow down to his sheaf, which is one stage removed from actual personal bowing down. He didn't dream they were bowing down to him. Um, so the first dream wasn't so threatening. Their sheaf is bowing down to his sheep, his sheaf, and maybe because of that, the first dream didn't cause that much controversy, but the second dream definitely did, because there they're not bowing down to him. He saw the this, this, this sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, which is obvious what that means. Bowing down to him, not bowing to his sheaf, they're bowing down to him. So that's Yosef's dream, so we have Yaakov's dreams. So that's a very spiritual dream. Yosef's dreams are not so spiritual, doesn't seem to be so spiritual not at all. In fact, it just it's like a family uh, dream. He's dreaming about who's going to be the boss in the family, who's going to have the most wealth in the family, who's going to have the most power in the family. And then the other two dreams, the next two dreams in last week's parasha were the dreams of the butler and the baker. Now, these are non-Jews, and not, not the most kosher people because they were in jail with him. The butler eventually gets out of jail and is pardoned by Paro. It's the only time a birthday is mentioned in the Torah. It's Paro's birthday, which is interesting. No other birthday is mentioned in the Torah. There was someone's birthday, but it says by, last week's parasha, it says by birthday of Paro. Paro has a Yom Huledet. Yom Huledet led Paro. And that's when he pardons the butler and he executes the baker. So it's interesting. The two, two dreams in last week's parasha. And this week's parasha, another two dreams. And these are the dreams of no, no other but Paro. Paro himself has a dream, two dreams. Famous dreams, he dreams about the, the years of uh, wheat, the seven fat years of wheat, and followed by seven thin years of wheat, and the seven thin years swallowed the seven fat years, and they never got fat. Seven fat cows come out of the river Nile, and seven thin cows come out of the river Nile, and seven thin cows eat up the seven fat cows, and they don't get fat. So two very strange dreams, and Paro wakes up, and he can't sleep. He woke up after the first dream, went back to sleep, woke up the second dream and starts screaming. Call, call all my wise men, call all my wise men. Calls all the wise men, they give him some strange interpretations which he rejects. Apparently he dreamt the, the interpretation as well, but he forgot it. Until he calls Yosef out from the jail. Now it's amazing because one of the greatest transformations in probably human history where a person comes straight out of jail and becomes the viceroy of the country. It's never happened until this time since Yosef and never happened since then, I don't think. So in one of the greatest transformations, can you imagine, within the seconds here, Yosef is a prisoner in jail and then all of a sudden he's not just, a he's not just free, he's now the viceroy of the superpower of, of that time. Egypt. Egypt was the superpower of that time. He's now the viceroy of the superpower of, of that time. So it's one of the greatest transformations in human history. And so the question is, what is it about Yosef, an outsider of Egyptian culture, a Hebrew, which means from across the river, or a descendant of Ever, who is the son of Shem, Shem and Ever, um, but considered a total stranger to the Egyptian culture, a person who had been languishing in jail on false attempted rape charges, what made him a leader of the greatest empire in the world? That's a, that's a major question, which the Torah just gives us hints. It doesn't really tell us why did Paro choose him. Well, it does tell us he could interpret dreams, but it also tells us something else as well, which we're going to talk about now. Yosef had three gifts that in isolation many have, but in combination very few have. Those three gifts. Number one is, is he was a dreamer of dreams. Now, it's interesting because some dreams we said are prophetic, but some dreams are, as I'm quoting the Gemara, 
at the end of Brachot, chapter 9 of Brachot, which deals with dreams. And the Gemara says something very fascinating, and that is um, that the dreams usually follow a person's thoughts during the day. What a person thinks about during the day is usually what he dreams about at night. So, and that's what really the brothers got suspicious about Yosef. If Yosef is dreaming at night that they're going to bow down to him, so what do you think he's dreaming about during the day? He's dreaming about they're going to bow down to him. He's dreaming about his superiority. He's dreaming about that eventually they're going to be his slaves. So that's why they hated him more, because dreams are not something which appear um, unrelated to what a person is thinking about. If a person is thinking about heaven in the daytime, maybe he'll, he'll dream about heaven at night. If a person is thinking about Hashem during the daytime, maybe he'll think about Hashem in the nighttime, which is what happened to Yaakov Avinu at the beginning of Parashat Vayetze. He dreamt about the ladder going up to heaven. So a person's dreams are a fundamental part of their, uh, their, their psychological state, uh, their mind. What's going on in their mind in the daytime is what reappears to them in the night. So if Yosef is a dreamer, Yosef is a dreamer, is that good or bad? And the answer is, it's very good. It's very good for a person to have dreams um, of advancement, dreams of bettering their lives, dreams of bettering the world. These are, these are good dreams. These are fantastic dreams. But sometimes a person should be a person should be sensitive to other people's feelings. So he had these great dreams, and he was always dreaming about advancement, getting better, making himself more powerful, making himself a better person, hopefully. And but a person's going to have tact and not tell other people, especially those who are going to affect the dreams, going to affect uh, about one's dreams. The person's going to have tact and sensitivity, which is something which apparently Yosef never had as a young boy. As a, as a teenager, he never had that tact, a sensitivity to other people's feelings, which is why he told his brothers his dream, which really should have been kept in secret. But he had this power to dream, which is this power to think of the future and think good thoughts about himself and where he's going to be in a few years. This is something which a lot of people, most people today, don't even have. They don't think about the future. You know, when someone tells me, uh, they send me texts or messages, Rabbi, how are you doing in Israel? I say, listen, I'm, I'm living my dream. This is my dream. My dream was to retire and come to Eretz Israel and learn Torah in Eretz Israel. You can't get better than that. So I'm living my dream. So I've been dreaming for the last 30 years that I'm going to move to Eretz Israel. Dreaming, I'm going to learn Torah in Eretz Israel and Baruch Hashem. So, what can you have more than living your dream? So, Yosef in this week's parasha is actually living his dream. And it's good to be a dreamer. That's one thing that some people are dreamers. But they dream about others. They don't dream about themselves in a sense that where they're going to be in 10 years' time, 5 years' time, 6 years' time. Plan. If you have a dream, then you can plan ahead and make your dream come into a reality. So, it's, that's number one. So, Yosef was a dreamer. But, and it's interesting because he couldn't really plan. He, he was a slave. He was a prisoner in a jail. So he had the dream, but Hashem made his dream come into reality. So sometimes we can dream and make our dream to come into reality. But sometimes a person can dream and Hashem makes the dream into reality. Let me tell you a story, a very, very interesting story. This happened to me personally. As I was sitting in my office in Eitzelheim in, in Highland Park, New Jersey, in beautiful Highland Park, New Jersey, uh, which is also translated as Ramat Gan, Highland Park, Ramat Gan. And uh, two men came into my office. Uh, they made an appointment, they came to see me. They were from far away. They were from Teaneck, New Jersey. And they came to me with a vision. They came to me with a dream. Rabbi, we need a Sephardic school in Teaneck. 
It's a growing Sephardic community. We need a Sephardic school. So I said to them, listen, why do you come to me? What's, what am I going to do? I'm in Highland Park. I'm in central New Jersey, and you're in northern New Jersey. Well, they said at that time I was the only Sephardic rabbi in that area. <laughs> so I was the closest rabbi in the area. But the fact is, one of them had a vision, a total vision for a school. He had a dream and a vision for a school, and he wanted someone to actualize the dream. But without that dream, nothing would be actualized. And today there's a school in, I don't know how it's doing, Teaneck had hundreds of kids, 400 kids in Teaneck called Ben Parat Yosef. But that is, needs a vision, needs a dream, and that dream can be actualized. So if a person has no dreams, the dreams can never be actualized. So it's very important to, to be a dreamer in that sense of where am I going to be? Where do I want to be? Person going to think, where do I want to be in a year's time, in two years' time, in three years' time? Where do I want my kids to be in two years' time, three years' time? And always dream about it and then try and actualize the dream. That's because a person who doesn't dream, doesn't have vision in the future. Can you imagine leaders with no vision? And you see this today. Some leaders have vision and they have a plan, a grand plan. This is something which we have to learn from the Chinese, whoever they put out every, every year, they put out their five-year plan, their 10-year plan, their 15-year plan, and stick to the plan. That's the dream. The dream is the plan. And how to actualize the plan, that's the next step. So number one is Yosef had this ability to dream, to vision, have, have vision. Number two is even explain other dreams. Yosef had the ability to not just to dream for himself, and it's interesting because his brothers interpreted his dream for him. He didn't have to interpret his dream. He knew exactly what his dream meant. They're the ones who said, you know, you think we're all going to bow down to you? And he was his father. Explained his dream. It was so obvious that everyone's going to bow down to Yosef. That was his dream. But the dreams that Yosef interpreted were not so clear. The dream of the butler. He's uh, pushing, he's uh, pressing three bunches of grapes into Pharaoh's cup. Not so clear. Uh, the baker who had three baskets of bread on his head, not so clear. So Yosef had this ability to explain other people's dreams. And especially the ability, which it's interesting, he said it wasn't me, it was God. Hashem is the one who can give me the information to be able to interpret your dreams. And he mentioned Hashem so often in his, in his speech to Paro, that Paro also started mentioning Hashem's name. This is really a missionary par excellence. Here's Yosef explaining Paro's dream, and Paro wants to reward him, and if, uh, Yosef says, not me, it's not me, it's Hashem. It's not me, it's Hashem. It's not me, it's Hashem. So, um, it's a very important concept that we always have to, in our lives, people say, you're great, you did this fantastic thing. A person always going to say, it's not me, it's Hashem. And that is true humility. That's the true humility, and that's what uh, we have to learn from this story. One, one of the messages of the story of Yosef is true humility, but he had the, he had the power of vision, uh, dreaming for himself. Number two, he had the power to, um, to interpret other people's dreams. And number three, we're going to see is he knew how to actualize dreams. He didn't only have the power to dream, he had the power to actualize the dream. And not just his own dream, actualize his own dream, which he never, he wasn't able to actualize his own dream. But we see eventually he did when he had the capability, but Hashem put him in control. He gave the power to be able to actualize his own dream, to get the brothers to bow down to him, to bring his father as well to Egypt. He could also actualize other people's dreams. So we were talking, we were discussing the gifts that Yosef had, the three gifts he had. Number one was the ability to dream, which is so important for us all. 
to dream about what they would like for themselves, what they would like for their families, what they would like for Am Israel, what they like for Eretz Israel, what they like for whatever institution they're running, whatever they're doing in their lives. That's very important. The, the ability to dream and make actualize things. Number two is the ability to explain other people's dreams. And number three is the ability to actualize and uh, learn how to actualize one's dream and also learn how to actualize other people's dreams. So those are the three qualities that Yosef had all three together. So a lot of people have one of these three qualities but they don't have the ability to have all three together. And Yosef was not just the dreamer, he was not just the interpreter of dreams, but he was also the actualizer of dreams. He knew how to implement dreams, solving the problem of which they were an early warning. So he viewed Paro's dream as an early warning, and he was able to come up with a plan in split seconds. So that was either a gift from God, but obviously it's interesting, Hashem does not give gifts to people who are... Uh, don't have the capabilities to handle the gifts. So Hashem gave him the gift, gave him that idea how to handle the situation of a famine, and he was able to implement it. The brilliant administrator, both both in Potiphar's house before he came to Pharaoh, and also in prison. We have we forget that he was appointed the deputy to the head of the prison. He was basically running the whole prison. So. It was this gift that led to his appointment as the Viceroy of Egypt, which was, we said was the superpower of that time. The gift of being able to administrate and implement solutions to problems. And that's three, three principles. Let's just re recover these three principles. Number one is the ability to dream and have a vision of the future. Number two is the ability to explain other people's dreams. Number three is the ability to implement solutions to problematic dreams, the dreams that uh, predict future events, uh, bad events, and uh, the ability to implement solutions to avoid these uh, events. So from this we learn three things. Number one is dream dreams. It's very important for a person to dream dreams. In fact, it's interesting, the Talmud says in Brachot, says a person who goes seven days without dreams is a rasha. A person who goes seven days without dreaming is an evil person now. What's that got to do with being evil? What's not having a dream? So here we're talking about the kind of dreams that Yosef has is the vision of the future. How am I going to change? How am I going to get better? How am I going to improve my life? A person has to have uh, positive dreams. A person has to have positive dreams. Very, very important. And that's number one. Number two, never be afraid to let your imagination soar. So here's Yosef, a, a shepherd, a young boy, a shepherd, and he's dreaming these massive dreams. So number one, he was dreaming that we're going to change professions. We're, not going to, we're now shepherds, and now we're going to be farmers. Number two dream was even bigger dream was he's in the middle of the universe. He's part of the solar system. That's a wild dream. Oh, he's going to be an astronaut. He's dreaming about suns, stars, moons, and uh, planets. What is he thinking about? So it's very, very interesting, these dreams, massive visions that, that Yosef had. And that's something which we have to teach ourselves, to have visions, to give ourselves the time and the space and imagination to dream. In dreams, we discover our passions, and following our passions, which is hopefully good ones, is the best way to live a rewarding life. Following our good passions and following our dreams is the best way to live a rewarding life. It really is. So dreaming is often thought to be impractical. Not so. It's one of the most practical things we can do. There are people who spend months planning a vocation. They don't even give a day to planning their lives. A lot of people just think about their annual vacation, spending months, months, months. 
but they don't think about how to plan their lives. So it's very important. And this is a very, there's two different words. There's two different words in Hebrew in the Bible, in the Torah. And we're going to go into a very interesting concept. There are people who, who are, or let themselves be carried by the winds of chance and circumstance. And that is a big mistake. The rabbis say, wherever in the Torah we find the word vaychi, it's a sign of woe. It's a sign of vaychi bimei achashverosh, right? It was at the time of achashverosh. So when we find the word vaychi, it was, or it came to pass, which is a translation in English, when, it's, when it, words of came to pass, that means that events were allowed to happen by themselves with no control. There was no vision in the events. The, visions, the events just happened. And that's a sign of woe. That's a sign of trouble. That's a prelude to tragedy. A vaihi life, a vaihi life is one where we passively let things happen. Right? It's somewhere the life is one where we make uh, one a life in one in which we make things happen. That's our dreams that give us directions. So a vaihi vaihi is when we let things passively happen without dreaming, without visions, and that's when the troubles. Uh, a Yehi life, Yehi, uh, Hashem said, let there be. Yehi or, Vahi or, let there be or. So we have to try and interfere with our, our, our lives. We have to try and make sure that we're in control of what, what we're thinking, what, what happens in the future. How are we in control of what happens in the future? By actualizing our dreams. So a dream is projecting images of the future. And by actualizing that dream, we are living our lives. We are making the future happen. So two ways of living one's life. Living a vaihi life, which we let things happen to us. We're not in control. We're not thinking about what we're doing. We're not thinking. We're not planning our future. And the Yehi life is planning and dreaming about the future and actualizing the future. So it was not Yosef's dreams that made him a leader, but obviously dreams are important, as he said. You have to have a vision for the future. It was, in this case, it was Paro's dreams that made him a leader. If Paro wouldn't have dreamt, Yosef would never have been a leader. And then his dreams would not have been actualized. Interesting, so here we have two dreams which come in and uh, impinge on one another. The dream of Yosef, which came first. But Paro's dream actualized Yosef and actualized Yosef's dream. Gave him the ability to actualize his dream. To bring his sons, his brothers to Mitzrayim and get them to bow down to him. And so interesting, without Paro's dream, Yosef's dream would not have been actualized. But who is the true master of dreams? And the answer is Hashem. Hashem is the true master of dreams. Hashem, we can see behind the scenes, Hashem is the one bringing these dreams into fruition with human uh, interference and with human control. So, it's interesting. The Kotzka Rebbe once drew attention to a difficulty in Rashi. There's an interesting Rashi which we're going to come to. And we talk about Parshat Yitro. That's where the Ten Commandments are. Parshat Yitro, Ten Commandments. Yitro was Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, his fantastic father-in-law. Uh, Moshe married his daughter, Tzipporah. And his father-in-law was a genius. He was a former um, idolater, a priest of Midian, of idolatry, who became a Baal Teshuva. And not only did he become a Baal Teshuva, he also became Jewish. According to some accounts, he converted to Judaism. And his children converted, and his grandchildren. And they joined Eretz Yisrael. They became part of Eretz Yisrael. They actually lived in Yericho. And uh, it says over there, a very interesting Rashi over there, it says... Rashi says that Yitro was given the name Yeter. 
Yitro apparently had seven names. So the joke is that he had seven daughters, and every time he married a daughter off, he went into debt, and he changed his name, so no one could find him. So he had seven names, and uh, one of his names was Yeter. So Rashi says he was given the name Yeter because an extra parasha was added to the Torah because of him. Because when he came and he saw Moshe Rabbeinu judging the people from morning to night, he said, Moshe, you can't do this. You're going to go crazy, and they're going to go crazy. You're going to go crazy because you won't have time to sleep. You won't have time to eat. You have thousands of people waiting for you to teach them and, and judge their cases. And they're not going to be able to control themselves because they're going to stand in line for days on end waiting for you to have time for them. So therefore, this is not a good way of learning things. You have to delegate. You have to find smart people. We're going to go into more language later on who can run this for you. You have to, de- you have to uh, devolve some of your power to other people. You have to pass power to other people to be able to judge on your behalf. So the Kotzka Rebbe says, Rashi says, he was given an extra name, Yeter. So Kotzka says, when, when Yitro says, what you are doing is not good, is not, the, is not part of the, of the, is not part of the uh, equation. What Yitro said is not good. Sorry, just one second. When Yitro said to Moshe, uh, what you're doing is not good, it's not part of the addition to the Torah. It's when Yitro gave solutions, Rashi is saying he added to the Torah. What did he add to the Torah? He gave a solution. It's not just pointing out a problem where he earned his name. His name of Yeter, of addition, which is part of the Torah, which he added to the Torah, was not when he pointed out the problems, it was when he gave solutions. That's what the Kotzka says. The Kotzka says, good leaders either are, are very good at solutions or they surround themselves with problem solvers. And that's why every good leader is surrounded by other good advisors and even powerhead advisors. Why? Because you need problem solvers for all your problems. You, you, a person by himself is not able to solve all their problems. They need to hire accountants, lawyers, doctors, sometimes scientists, whatever, to handle their problems for them, to find solutions for problems. There's COVID. We need scientists. We need doctors. We need the engineers. We need people around us to be able to surround ourselves with problems, uh, to solve these problems. So good leaders are themselves or they are surrounded by good problem solvers. And Yosef's genius lay not only in predicting seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, but in devising a system of storage that would ensure food supplies in the lean and hungry years. So it's very important to dream dreams. Dream about where you would like to be in the future. Dream about how would you like to improve yourself and uh, find ways of turning dreams into reality. These three gifts are Yosef's signs of leadership and implementing solutions. So three, let's just go over those three things again. Number one is to dream, good dreams, positive dreams, uh, dreams of improvement. And number two is implementing the dreams. And number three is being able to dream, uh, being able to explain other people's dreams. So uh, we were talking about leadership and dreaming and explaining dreams and putting them in. Now well, let's talk, move on and talk about friendship. Now, Yosef was friendless. It's a very hard situation to be friendless, completely friendless. He's in a strange country with no friends and a lot of enemies, surrounded by enemies, people who hate him, people who put him in jail, people who nearly came to kill him. Let's talk about friendship, um, because a lot of people have 
fair weather friends. And that means when your person is doing well, people are friends with them. When a person is not doing so well, people leave them. So a person is drawn to people of high stature and like them when they are honored, respected, and looked up to. When they fall, no one wants to have anything to do with them. And that was Yosef was put in a jail in a foreign country and no one wanted to help him at all. Even the butler, for whom he had given a good explanation and uh, the predictions of it gave, came true, the butler was reinstated, forgot about him for two years. For, for two years the butler forgot about him, which is a different topic which we have to talk about some other time. Uh, but there's one being who never forgot about Yosef and that was Hashem. Hashem, we have to realize who our best friend is Hashem is our best friend. Why? Because Hashem is with us 24-7 a day. Every day of the week, Hashem is with us. And all we have to do is reach out to the all-powerful of the universe. And we're in contact. That's it. Hashem is with us 24-7. So it doesn't matter where a person is. Yosef was in jail. And who's with him in jail? It says Hashem remained with Yosef in his lowly position in jail. Just as he remained with him as when he was second in command in the king's palace. So Hashem was a constant. I call it the G constant. You know, in science there's a G constant, which refers to gravity. Gravity is a constant in the universe. And uh, Hashem is also the G constant in a person's life. Hashem should be the constant in our lives. He's with us everywhere, we're high, we're low. Doesn't matter what stature we're in, what, what shape we're in. Hashem is with us, can be with us all the time. We say in Tehillim, in, in Ashrei, Karov Hashem lechol korav. Hashem is close to everyone who calls out to Him. Lechol met. But you have to call out to Hashem in truth, which means you really, that's it. He's the last resort for a person. Hashem is the last resort, the first resort, the last resort. Ani Rishon v'ani Achron. I am first and I am last, says Hashem. So it's important to know, and that's the only thing we learned from the story of Yosef, is Yosef's in jail. Who's in jail with him? And the answer is the only friend he had was Hashem. Hashem's looking after him in jail. Hashem is a constant in our lives. Um, another important concept is that a person can try their best to destroy someone else. And the brothers tried to destroy Yosef. You know, they, they, first they wanted to kill him, and then they had second thoughts, Baruch Hashem, for that. And uh, what would have happened if they had tried to kill him? So there's a concept of free will, which Hashem created as part of the joker in the pack in the universe. It's interesting, when Hashem created the world, He created the world with the name Elohim. Now Elohim means judgment. He's the God of judgment, which means, judgment means that society runs in precision. Everything is precision. Hashem created the world with precision, which means sunrise and sunset can be computed within split seconds. The distance of the moon from the earth can be computed with split seconds. The time for the sun's rays to reach the earth can be computed to split seconds. That's judgment. That's deen. That's how Hashem created the world. Everything in this universe works like a mechanism with precision. That's Elohim. That's judgment. You find the two most judgmental societies, Germany and Japan. And you know what their common denominator is? Their trains run on time, exact. To be a yeki, you know, the joke is, what happens when a Sephardi marries a yeki? And the answer is, 10 minutes late exactly. So that's an interesting thing. Yeki, Germans, precision. Precision, why? That's judgmental. They were a, a dangerous, judgmental society. And Japan, same thing. It's amazing how the two best engineering uh, countries are Japan and Germany. Why? Because they're precise. 
Chesed is the opposite. Yudke Vavke is the opposite. Hashem said, if I create the world with Elohim, with judgment, when he created man, he changed the language. And there it says, Hashem Elohim. He put Midat HaChesed with Midat HaDin, he made the Midat of Rachamim. So it's very important to note that there's Elohim, which is justice, but with, when man was created, because man is the joker in the pack. Why is man the joker in the pack? Because we have that ability of free choice to interfere with God's precision. Hashem created the world with precision, and we have this ability with our free will to interrupt. So the question is, with free will, could, they, could the brothers have actually destroyed Yosef, killed him? So there's an interesting Rashi. Rashi says, Reuven said, why do we want to kill him? Let's put him in the pit. So even though there's a double negative over there, Rashi says, the pit was empty, the pit had no water, and it was empty. Why the double negative? Rashi says, it had no water, and it was empty, but it had snakes and scorpions. So Rashi is quoting the Gemara in Shabbat, that there were snakes and scorpions in the pit. So what's the solution? Why did Reuben say, let's throw him in the pit full of snakes and scorpions instead of killing him? That's, that's a death sentence right there. So the commentaries say, because putting a person in a pit with snakes and scorpions, now never try this, then a person's in God's hands. Whether the snakes bite the person or not, that's God. But if they want to kill him with their hands, God does not interfere. So if a person wants to be killed, someone, that's their free will. But if a person wants to put them in the danger, in, in, in harm's way, God, if he wants to, can interfere in there. But Hashem lets people free will play out. It's a very interesting concept. Let's just move on. Let's take this concept and move on with it. That here they are. The brothers want to get rid of Yosef. Instead of that, Hashem makes their plan turn into that Yosef becomes the viceroy of Egypt. If they hadn't sold him into Egypt, maybe this whole story would not have happened. The fact that they bowed out to him is only because they sold him. If they would have sold him and he would still be a shepherd boy in, in uh, Israel, maybe they wouldn't bow out to him. So it's interesting, by doing what they did, they tried to destroy him and they were part of the solution. So when God is in control, you see Hashem's control, even in free will. That, that I, I, I try and explain free will as a, as a move in chessboard. You're playing chess. Every move you make is your free will. But if you play, if you play a grandmaster, I had that experience of playing a grandmaster chess. There were 18 of us sitting around the table, and this grandmaster walks in, and we're all thinking 15 minutes about our move, and he walks in and he plays each one, bang, 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 bang. He just walks by, looks at the board, and bang. So the grandmaster can outplay us, and Hashem is the grandmaster. Whatever move we make, we can delay the end of the world, but we cannot stop it. The checkmate will come, the Mashiach will come, whether we like it or not, with all our moves. We can delay it for a generation, two generations, five generations, five, fifty generations, hundred generations. But eventually, God's will, the checkmate will arrive. And that's Hashem. His plan will be come to fruition. We just have to have patience. We're playing our moves, but Hashem's plan will come to fruition. So here we are. Here's Yosef's brothers planning to destroy him by selling him to Egypt. And instead of which, they became part of the solution. They became part of the, the chess moves that brought him to being viceroy of Egypt and they had to bow down to him. They're the ones who caused him to be viceroy in Egypt. Imagine, a person tries to destroy someone and that plan that they had eventually boosted them to the other direction. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So Hashem can twist any plan. That's another lesson from the Parsha. One of the things I want to talk about, and this is something very, very important. I think it's one of the most important things in life, is how to get along with others. This is something which is such a hard topic. 
I think the hardest thing a person, the hardest challenge in a person, you know, we're full, life is full of Nisayon. Nisayon means challenges. Nisayon means tests. Abraham Avinu had 10 trials. We all know about that. 10 trials, famous as a missionary in Pirkei Avot. Abraham Avinu had 10 trials in his life. And the truth is we have thousands, if not millions of trials in our lives. But the hardest challenges we have is dealing with people. The hardest challenges we have is dealing with people, especially people who are close to us. Because those are the ones we see the most often. So the ones we don't see so often, usually the challenges are less because we don't see them. But the ones we see more often, that's where the challenges are the greatest. So it's usually in marriage, usually in children, usually with relatives, usually with close friends. Those were the challenge, tremendous challenges. That's what we see. The whole of Breshit is really a psychological manual for your relationships. That's how I, it's, a, it's amazing. If you think about it that way, all these stories are teaching us about relationships and they're very, very negative stories. I mean, the Torah starts off with a breakdown in the marriage between Adam and Chava. Now, we don't really think about it, but the Midrash says Adam left Chava for 130 years. But he lived 930 years. So 130 years, a tenth of his life, he was away from Chava. They separated after the, they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. They separated. So 130 years he was away from her. It was a breakdown of the relationship. Why was that breakdown of the relationship? Because of miscommunication. He told her, Hashem said, don't eat the fruit and don't touch the tree. And really Hashem didn't say not touch the tree. He added that. And he should have told her, it's not Hashem that said don't touch the tree. So she touched the tree. The, the Nachash, it says, pushed her against the tree and nothing happened. So she said, you see, nothing happened when you pushed it, when you touched it. Nothing would happen when you eat it. So there's miscommunication between husband and wife. And because of that, tremendous sin. And because of that, they separated. That's number one. Number two is Cain. Cain. Cain kills his brother. Heaven kills his brother. Can you imagine? What a breakdown in a relationship. Straight after the Torah is born, the first two boys born into the world, one kills the other. So one's murdered and one's a murderer. Terrible. Can you imagine? Um, so what is Hashem telling us about human relationships? That we are not born perfect. No one is born perfect. No one is born with the ability to learn about human relationships without actually going through and being taught. So it says, Cain had a son and he built a city and he called the name of the city Hanoch. Hanoch, or the city, he calls the name of the city Hanoch because Hanoch means education. He built a city to educate the next generation. To be careful about relationships, not to kill people, not to murder people. But was that successful? Well, let's see what happens. Uh, the Torah talks about different relationships. It says, Abraham Avinu, he, he gets married twice. The first one was Sarah, and Sarah says, listen, I can't have children, marry my maid, Hagar. What does he do to Hagar? He throws her out twice. Twice. And not only that, but he has a son, Yishmael, and Yishmael... The jealousies between Ishmael and Yitzhak, and eventually he has to throw out Ishmael. So he throws out his wife, he throws out his son. There's a breakdown over here in relationships. It's the relationships which are the hardest thing to control. Uh, es- uh, Esav and Yaakov, they don't get along. Two brothers, again, don't get along. And we see this again, the story of Yaakov's sons. The 12 sons of Yaakov, unfortunately Yosef didn't get along with his brothers. So we see it's a theme going right through Breshit is... 
the families don't get along. The, the brothers don't get along. The man and his wife doesn't get along. They don't get along. The marital couples don't get along. The, there's a breakdown over here. In the challenge of life is challenge of communication. The challenge of life is challenge of relationships. Tremendous challenges of relationships. Uh, one of the biggest challenges I find is more human relationships than godly relationships. With Hashem it's very easy. You do teshuva, say goodbye, say, to, to say sorry, and hopefully it's over. That's it. You go through Yom Kippur and it's over. With human beings, you've got to live with them, and you've got to live through the challenges, and you've got to try and improve relationships. It's such a hard job. It's, a, it's a, one of the hardest jobs. So kind kills his brother Hevel, Sarah with Hagar, Yaakov and Esav, Rivka and Yitzhak, and uh, she is telling Yaakov to deceive her father. It's a very strange situation. Leah cheats Yaakov. Yaakov cheats Esav. It's uh, going backwards and forwards. And finally, the end of Rashid ends off with the story of Yosef and his brothers, which eventually come to a very seemingly happy conclusion that eventually they come together. Yaakov dies. The brothers come back to Yosef and they ask for forgiveness, which we're going to talk about next week. But the brothers are created, are credited with at least they were honest. They never hid their hatred of Yosef. So now, if you know someone hates you, what would you do about it? So the trouble is, Yosef at that time was young. Yosef was young. Yosef had no experience. He saw the brothers hated him, but he didn't do anything about it. Now, maybe he didn't. He wasn't sensitive. We see that in the story of Yosef at the beginning, he was not sensitive to other people's feelings. The fact that he could tell his dreams of greatness to his brothers, that they're going to bow down to him, or suggest they would bow down to him, shows his lack of sensitivity. So as a child, Yosef lacks sensitivity to others, which is very, very common among children, because children grow up egocentric. And our job as parents is to teach them not to be egocentric. That's the first job for a parent, is to teach their child to think about other people's feelings. I remember in schools, dealing with children, is to teach them... How would you feel if you, if you were hit by someone else? How would you feel if someone pitched you? How would you feel if someone stole from you? I say, ah, oh, I never thought about that. You know, try and put, your, um, put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's, it's a very hard thing for people to feel. So I know what it's like to insult others, but how do I know what it's like to be insulted? That's, it's very hard to, to, to project oneself into other people's feelings and feel other people's pain. So the brothers are credited at least with honesty. They never hated their brother in their heart. They actually showed him that they were displeased. It says they couldn't speak to them. They, could, they wouldn't speak to him. Imagine. So imagine Yosef is trying to speak to his brothers. They ignored him. So instead of saying, hey, brothers, why do you want to ignore me? He didn't go to that step. He never asked for forgiveness and hurting their feelings. He maybe felt he was insensitive to their feelings. So the absence of communication reflects inner emotional and spiritual insecurity. We find another lesson over here, which is a very interesting lesson by Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, um, Lavan comes to Yaakov Avinu, runs after him. You ran away from me, you never let me kiss my, my grandchildren, you took my daughters as hostages, and eventually Yaakov answers all these problems, and then Lavan says, and you stole my trafim. You stole my trophim. Some people say it was his idolatry. Some people say it was like his, uh, he could see the future. It was like a looking, it's like a, what do you call it? A, a globe, a crystal, a crystal that could tell the future. And his looking glass, or whatever it was. And, uh, and Yaakov says something very strange. He says, whoever took your stuff should die. 
and he didn't know that Rachel took it. The Torah tells us he didn't know Rachel took it, and his curse came true. We see that what a person says is very, very important. That a person says good things, and a person should always try and open their mouth and good things. The Talmud says a person should always try to try to open their mouth and say always good things from their mouth, never bad things. No bad things about themselves, no bad things about other people. There's a famous story of the Chafetz Chaim. One of my favorite stories, the Chafetz Chaim was once on a train. And he was going, everyone knew he was coming to this certain location. And there were crowds waiting outside in the station, waiting for him. But anyway, he was on the train, and the guy across from him was very excited. This young boy was very excited. And the Chafetz Chaim says, why, why can't you sit still? Why are you so excited? So the boy says, I'm going to meet the Chafetz Chaim. I'm going to meet this great rabbi. I'm coming to the station to get off, and the rabbi is going to be there. I'm, I'm so excited. And the Chafetz Chaim says, why are you so excited? He's nothing special. The guy got really upset with this man saying the Chafetz Chaim is not special, and he smacked him on the face. <laughs> so <laughs> Chafetz Chaim kept quiet. And he gets off the train, and there's a whole crowd of people waiting for him. And the boy gets off, and they see everyone crowding around this man he smacked on the face. And he asks someone, he says, tell me, who's that person? So that is the Chafetz Chaim. The boy says, oh gosh, just smacked him on the face. <laughs> so he tries to get to the Chafetz Chaim, and he only manages a couple of hours later to reach the Chafetz Chaim. He says, Rabbi, he said, I'm so sorry, I didn't, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know who you were, Rabbi. And the Chafetz Chaim said, I forgive you. And not only that, but you taught me a new halakha. You taught me a new law, in Jewish law. What is that law? Don't even speak bad about yourself. Persons shouldn't even speak Lashon HaRa about themselves, but the truth is that persons should never speak bad, always get good things coming out of their mouth. And Yaakov, imagine he cursed the person who took Laban's Trafim, happened to be his own wife, Rachel, and the curse came out, true, his wife passed away. But something good in this parsha, which he changed is, when the brothers go back, to Yaakov, they tell him, there's a viceroy in Egypt who is very tough with us. He didn't curse him. And it's interesting because, can you imagine, if he had cursed that viceroy, not knowing it was his son, Yosef, he could have lost Yosef as well. So it's very important that a person should always say good things. We don't know the true picture. We can't tell the true picture. Always bless others. Even <laughs> That's a famous uh, line in Fiddle on the Roof. Is there a blessing for the Tsar? Yes, there's a blessing for the Tsar. May God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. That's the furthest a person should go in terms of uh, saying bad about other people. You don't like someone? Hashem, keep him far away from me. But even better to bless that person to do Teshuvah and be a nicer person. Whatever it is, a person should try and... Another lesson from the parasha is um, trying to say good things only. So let's go back to this theme of human relations. Because human relations are the vehicle for growth. And it's interesting because... Men and women are definitely miles apart. You know, there's a book, Men are from Mars and Women are from Venus. We're definitely miles apart. We don't think the same way. And yet Hashem says, get married. And that's why marriage is, such, is probably the hardest thing to keep going. It's, any fool can get married. But it's very hard to keep the marriages going, especially today. 50% of marriages end in divorce. And not only that, but a lot of people don't want to get married because they realize that uh, it's not a, a bed of roses. But... That's why Hashem says, get married. Why? Because I want you to have those challenges in your life to be able to solve them and to be able to overcome them and to be able to overcome your egocentricity and think how other people think. Put yourselves in their shoes and absorb sometimes and not give back. And that's the hardest part of marriage is 
respect and love someone else.